Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers, what are we doing? Well, we're going to talk about intuition and mm. planning. Intuition's different than superstition. Very different than superstition, but maybe not so different from planning, as some might wah, think. Wah, wah. All right. So first, Angie, what are you working on? I'm... Presently working on learning the ins and outs of sending your film to film festivals, creating digital cinema packages. Oh, we have and... a little announcement to make. Oh, right. Yes, we do. The film that Angie wrote and directed, Lost in the Middle, first feature film, was which was that um, broad, broad humor, humor last week, won the Best Feature Award. Woohoo! So that's incredibly exciting. Thank you, Broad Humor. They were awesome. It was an amazing group of people. An amazing, an amazing film festival. Um, programming. Yeah. It was so, so. I have to say it's it's heartening to go to a like a shorts program full of incredible content work. and feel like, oh, we're, they chose us and they chose all these other great things. Yes. <laughs> yes. The programming alone made me feel very, very happy to um, so, yes. Yeah. So, a big thank you out to Bit Broad Humor and check them out at broadhumor.com. And then also our just amazing cast and crew that made Absolutely. this happen. Dreams coming true. We should also say we're headed off to Palm Springs for the Cinema Diverse LGBTQ Film Festival. Yes, Palm and Springs. We're going to go to the opening party together and then you will be back for the QA. Back for the QA on September 27th. Thursday, September 27th in Palm Springs. Friday. Friday. Better even. September 27th in Palm Springs. So Palm Springs. Are you out there? We'll find out. All right. Yeah. What else? So what are you working on? Is that it? (laughs) You're just going to list your accolades and move along? Yes. All right. Um, Gosh, I'm revising. (laughs) Um, And I am... Uh, you know, I moved all the pieces around. And I learned that you can do in Word what you do in Scrivener, which is move all the pieces around. So that's very exciting. If you use titles for your sections and you go into outline mode, you'll just see all the titles, and then you can move them around and move the sections around. Right, so basically you're using the style function, which is the Mm -hmm. same thing that they use for your table of contents. Right. So it'll go through and identify different sections by... A defined style. Yes. And so then when you're in the outline mode, you can you're, see all you're and seeing is move. the headers and then you can move them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, and basically what happened was I just couldn't bear to lose all the formatting I had done by shifting out of Word and back into Scrivener at this stage, at this very right. late stage. And not only my formatting, but my brilliant developmental editor's formatting and my brilliant age. You know, it's just like, no, I can't leave Word now. It's too late. It's too late. Too late. It's too late. Turn back now. I believe, I believe. All right, exactly. That's That's why we don't sing on this podcast. (laughs) But instead... We'll have a different podcast that will just be singing. (laughs) And then we're also, we're going to start an artisanal... Dating matchmaking. Yeah. It's not just dating. It's like matchmaking. I think artisanal Tinder is a good idea. Yeah, I don't think we can take that word. No, but hookup app. Artisanal hooking app. Oh, you want an app. I feel like the artisanal and it's app don't, don't go hand no. in hand at all. I know, but I think what I was actually saying is that instead of having like, you know, spending thousands of dollars to find the right person for you, you could spend hundreds of dollars for, you know, the right person for tonight. 
<laughs> but that app already exists. No. No? No, no. That's not artisanal. We just said artisanal is the opposite of app. Okay. So we're going to do the artisanal one-night stand? Yes. That's, yeah. All right. Well, we're working on this concept. I think maybe instead of actually starting a business, maybe we should, like, write a, a web series. About, about us, about this like lesbian couple who starts an artisanal hookup matchmaking. I don't want to do the hookup. I want to do the like true love. Right, but that's the thing. What? Look, if you have a, a there already are people who are very expensive and in, in magazines telling you that they they can handpick. Are they lesbians? No, they're not <laughs> lesbians. See, but the beauty is that. Just because an experience is short doesn't mean that you don't want it to be well crafted. <laughs> are you are you working on your short? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. The question is, do you want your relationship to be a short or do you want it to be a feature? Is that the question? Well, probably not. Okay. That is nothing to do with the podcast topic of today. Yeah, five minutes of your life just went by. <laughs> But that, that five minutes could have been a special moment. <laughs> okay. Handcrafted. <laughs> we are going to talk about this kind of misconception. The false dichotomy of planning and intuition. Yeah, totally. And um, I, yeah, I will say that one of my students came up to me and said, I was t- thinking about the teachings of somebody who very much supports writing for a sort of intuitive first draft and she said but she just does that once and then everything after that is is planning and figuring out and calculating it's like well yeah right Mm -hmm. it's it's really just where you start right whether you start on the zero or the one i don't know anyway it's not i don't mean in a binary sense i know because you are not binary (laughs) i really am not binary (laughs) so one of the things that we talk about a lot in our classes, we have a lot of very left brain linear exercises that we engage in. And sometimes people get the misunderstanding. Um, and obviously, it's my fault that they have that <laughs> misunderstanding. But they come away with an understanding that what I'm asking them to do is to be 100% finished and perfect in th- after planning. And that there is, um, you know, if you change something after you've planned it, that perhaps the planning has been a failure or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and even I think just the idea, sometimes when people are making a list as opposed to writing 300 pages of prose, Mm -hmm. they feel like the list has to be somehow based on fact or more Mm. accurate or... That they have to know what they're doing to make the list in a way they don't have to know what they're doing to make the 300 pages. Right. I think that's what we're after correcting here. Right. And to, you know, I often talk about constraint as a way to actually increase your creativity. So one of the things that we're often asking students to do, again, is to make a left brain decision. But... Part of that is because it's my assumption that in between iterations of the work, their intuitive side will also kick in. So and by creating the... It, right? Right. So if you sit there and you're like, you write something down and then you have to go, what comes next? 
Where is that going to come from? Well, if it's fiction, I mean, there's a certain little bit of logic you can lean into, and that's what we're trying to help people with. But you also have to take a stab at it. Right. But also, I think the the idea that if, you know, I was thinking about this. Someone once sort of made an analysis about IQ tests and how class played into that. And sometimes there would be a question like, what are the 40 things you can do with X, whatever that item was? But if you were someone who didn't have access to that item, you wouldn't know 40 things to do with it. I mean, that would just be ridiculous. The marshmallow test turned out to be very... Um, de- context dependent, mm-hmm. and actually, there apparently there were some like some subsistence farmers in some other country, not ours, who whose kids were like brilliant at it. Like they could totally be like, I'll wait for the next marshmallow to come along, you know. So mm-hmm. it's not even like a given. It's not a context necessarily of privilege, but it's a context of trusting who's asking you to do it, and then understanding waiting and you know all of those things but it's not some intuitive marker of are you going to stanford you know yes but anyway so so the idea then uh and i wanted to use the example of a log line because one of the things we do is we ask people to put their story into a structure form which is a log line and to my mind a log line is a great way of spending even if you spend an hour, let's say you spend an hour coming up with a variety of log lines for your stories you possible. Example. Yes. So this is an example from a book called 21st Century Screenplay by Linda Aronson. And that will be in the show notes. And she's not the only person who has log line models, so you can find a ton out there. Uh, so this is a, a traditional three-act structure template okay. that you could use. So your protagonist, so you fill in the blank there. Blank. Yeah, I'm wondering how I would speak in italics. What do you mean? Your protagonist, (laughs) faced with problem, responds by series of actions, (laughs) and finally deals with same problem as above by climax. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, that was so distracting that all I heard was your voice change. <laughs> Can you just do that one more time? Uh, okay, yes. I was just trying to speak in italics, and I'm... I love it, but... Okay, so... Now that we're used to the concept, maybe it won't be as funny. <laughs> protagonist faced with problem <laughs> responds by series of actions <laughs> and finally deals with same problem as above by Climax. Is that Yoda possibly in those? No, I think that's <laughs> Gomer Pyle. It's, it's, it's like the love child of Yoda and Gomer Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Gomer Pyle was gay. But was Yoda. Yoda I think Yoda, I think Yoda transcends. Yeah. yeah. Any hoodle. So the idea then that that what we're doing with using a template like this is not that we think uh, this is the only way to do it, but it is a construct that allows you to generate a lot of ideas at a very high level pretty quickly. Well, it's the, and that's the whole thing about creativity is that, you know, say if you say, okay, sit down and write for 10 minutes, here's a timer, go, or... Um, try imitating this, go, or whatever it is. That's the constraint, right? If you have mm. any small constraint, it frees you tremendously. 
Right. And so I think that for for you and me, um, having cons- these constraints kind of does two slightly oppositional things. But which one is oppositional? Which, well, it frees us. You know, it frees us. It's like okay, mm-hmm. look, here's this container, and within it, I can do whatever I want. And at the same time, I was likening it yesterday to um, to kind of like a rope. That, and you have this crazy path and you're like flying all over the place on the path, but you've got the rope so that, you know, it's and it's less to kind of keep you like constrained to a small path as it is to like just keep you from like completely flying off the cliff. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I would actually argue that this format actually allows you to get more creative. So because it is so formal... To make something really engaging, you've got to push yourself farther than you might normally. Like, it's really hard to tell that you have an incredibly boring book when you've written 350 pages of it because you're, A, way more invested in keeping something when you've written 350 pages, but you're also not really able to see, like, what someone else would see in quite the same way. Mm -hmm. You're in it. Uh, we you filled in all the details already. You're already working with and exploring the nuances. You're when you sit down to write, you're in that world. When you look at a logline, you're just not right. And so when you think about something like um, again, I, I didn't read the movie. I mean, didn't read the book for Where'd You Go, Bernadette? But we saw the film, mm-hmm. and in the film, you know, if you were to look at it as simply. Um, you know, a housewife who's, you know, disappointed, kind of does these things and ends up in, I, well, I guess, should I not do a spoiler? Yeah, no spoiler. No spoiler. Ends up somewhere. Ends up somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> but the log line, going through that, if you were just to write the log line, if you're generating ideas, maybe you started like a disappointed housewife and blah, 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 ends up in, you know, the strip mall (laughs) and gets her own nail salon. And you can tell pretty quickly, wow, that's just not quite enough to really give you some impact. And so you might then... You can brainstorm. Right. So then you use your next go at it. And you're like, great, well, this person's now an astronaut. And I'm going to send that person out into space. But then you look at it and you're like, well, you know, the truth is this person's issues, when I look at the protagonist that I was thinking about from my previous iteration, isn't someone who would necessarily be moved by that the challenge of going to outer space. Mm-hmm. So then you mm-hmm. can keep playing with your character and their situation. So you actually get to play more than yes. if each time you were writing 300 pages. Exactly. And, um, and I've done it both ways. <laughs> and I just, you know, which does not mean that at the end when you actually come out with a product that what you have is a product that has to look like every other product. Well, in fact, the opposite. I think the first we often think initially in... Uh, either you know in cliches in things we've heard before mm. and then when we push and push we go we go somewhere new right and Newer. so so my approach to this this kind of planning activity is really to play with it to try and be light to try and put yourself uh, in a situation where you would push yourself and your creativity 
farther. And you can tell. One like, of the challenges for Book in a Year, which we are celebrating, we've just sort of been, we're, as we're recording, we're in the midst of celebrating the finales of the people who did it this last year, which has been really exciting. And then we're mm-hmm. about to launch the next one. And we actually should invite all our listeners to yet another free event with Angie and Elizabeth. Um, the link is, I'm just going to put it in the show notes because it's, it's our kickoff party. It's Sunday, September 15th at 10.15 a.m. California time. It's going to include an overview of the seven steps mm-hmm. and how the heck we usher people through writing a book in a year. So if you're curious about it, um, you don't have to officially join us. You can come to our kickoff party and then see if you want to become part of the whole cult of yes. book in a year. But in any case, um, so what I think is in one of the challenges is is giving people an assignment, you know, mm-hmm. come up with a log line, come up with seven steps. And asking them to have this very playful approach and Mm -hmm. to, you know, I mean, it's just, it's all goes all the way back to all those kind of core educational issues that it's, it has to be about failing and risk taking and getting it wrong and trying things and making mistakes and playing. And when you use the word wrong, I actually want to say like Mm -hmm. in the context of, of writing. Yeah. The thing I would say is wrong when someone is writing is, is that their gut tells them this isn't it. And they feel like, oh... Other people liked it, and I should go forward. Right. But sometimes you have to sort of pencil it in and go, oh, gut check? No. Right. So gut check, just to say, that's the other piece of the intuitive part, is that you have a gut check moment. We always encourage you to do that. So when you're working with these constraints and these very linear, uh, formal exercises, that you use your intuition. Are you headed in the direction that you want to go? And the thing is that, and this is challenging no matter what, which way you approach writing, but this is the big challenge is it, it doesn't feel safe to use your intuition. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel uh, invulnerable. It doesn't feel like the least risky way to go. And so people resist it. We all resist it, right? So I just, I guess I just want to say that I really want to encourage our listeners and to encourage our students to, to really to kind of get into creative mode. Exactly. And one of the things that we kick off with is a letter to self. And what was really satisfying was hearing how um, people reflected at the end of their process on their the things they said they wanted for their project. And right. to have them revisit that and reflect on it was just really satisfying. Um, yeah. So I... The letter to self is basically an exercise where you, before you start the project, what is the thing you want this to look like? What's the stuff that matters most to you in this project? And really, it serves two purposes. One, to have a touchstone to come back to in all all kinds of moments throughout your development and revision process. But it also, before you've even begun, gives you the opportunity to see, you know, seed your subconscious so that when you start engaging with these exercises, you're already working with the material that's of value to you. Right. Because that's going to sustain you. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that's the kind of our, our big message is to, to take, to take risks and to use constraints as a way to take additional risks and Mm -hmm. to, to, to do the gut check, but also to, you know, to sort of explore so that you're creating, you know, a wide range of material, which you can then gut check. You know what I'm saying? I actually... Yeah, you look puzzled. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, 
In a nutshell. That's what I want here. A takeaway. Planning and intuition are part of the same tool. And that's really the thing to take away. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, it is time for Steal This. Amateur, Amateur poets, poets borrow. Professional, professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? And I actually have one that I think is deeply related. Okay, great. To what we're talking about. So um, I actually so I heard about this book called Anti-Fragility, and I heard mm-hmm. about it on a coaching podcast. Um, so I haven't read the book yet, and I so I just have the summation, somebody else's summation of it. But... Um, but I really loved it. And basically, as I understand it... The summation? Yes. Mm-hmm. I loved it. What? What's funny about summation? Well, it's just really funny. It's like I didn't read the book and I haven't seen it, but I loved the summation. <laughs> I loved the summation. Cliff notes! Woo! So that's what I'm sharing. Okay. But it's a concept. Right. And the concept is of anti-fragility, as I understand it, from the summation, <laughs> <laughs> is... so. So fragility is when, you know, you, you take a risk or some, whatever, you get a rejection and it breaks you, mm. it hurts you, it wounds you, it, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're fragile and this, and you get the hit and the hit has a negative impact on you. Mm-hmm. And then robust, um, I don't know what the verb for, the f- word form is for like, that is equivalent to fragility and anti-fragility, like robustness, I guess, robustness. So, but if you're robust, then you, the idea with being robust is that, you know, you take the punch and you kind of soldier on with anyway, because you're robust, you can kind of take it and, you know, maybe stumble a little bit, keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. And anti-fragility is neither of those things, as I understand it from the summation. (laughs) Anti-fragility is, um, that kind of the the break, what breaks you makes you stronger. So, you know, kind of the whole idea with your muscle, when you work out that your muscles sort of um, tear and that's the process of building muscle. When you're learning how to walk, she talks about, the the coach talked about, when you're learning how to walk, you can't, um, you can't learn by reading a book or watching a YouTube video or having someone explain it to you. Mm -hmm. You learn by taking a step and then... Uh, you know, falling over and taking another, you know, and getting up again and you build your muscles. Sorry, we have wind in the door. I know, you were sounding like a haunted house there yes. for a minute. Um, but in any case, so I just, I really loved that. I really love, I, you know, I, I know that, I mean, I, I know that there's the part about, um, you know, allowing things to go badly and that you know that you have to collect rejections. All of that's been a part of my whole mm-hmm. shtick. Um, and actually, that writing badly assignment kind of goes with this too, because I've I've felt like people can learn when they're trying, you know, when they're writing badly that in fact, you know, you can correct anything you write badly, and you can, um, and you often aren't writing as badly as you're afraid, and all of that. Um, so, but this is, <laughs> see, this is where we need this door to be like squeaking and squeaking through the whole podcast because it's right. Just so we're growing, yes. yeah. Anyway, but I just love the idea that um, that doing those, having those moments of failure, those moments of rejection are actually part of the process of mm-hmm. becoming stronger and better. Not just because you kind of get up again and stumble forward, but because you, you grow and learn and it's part of it. It actually puts me in mind of this um, anxiety program. And the anxiety program, I'm trying to remember it now. Anyway, the book is called Dare. 
and it stands for something. We'll put it in the show notes. The general idea for that one is when you're feeling fear, the way to overcome it is to run towards it. So it just so what you're talking about is the is the reframe of looking at things that are challenging and, and making the association that they're in fact how you get strong, right? So the other side of that is strong. Yeah. And in the book Dare, you basically go through a process where you're not really seeking to completely feel good before you do the thing. The thing you do, the way you get to good is actually by doing the thing that is scary. Right. Well, this, you know, this, when I was, uh, for for Sonoma County Writers Camp, I was listing out kind of the, the parts of the writer self, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them was the fear monger, right? That voice that is afraid. And I've, I've kind of become clear over the years that the voice that is afraid is not your editor, Mm-hmm. Right, not your, not your sort of, not someone who knows anything about reading or writing at all. They're just scared that you're writing. They're not even literate, right? So all of that I've gotten. But as I was writing up, like why they have to be there, because I was writing that for every other part, and suddenly I was like, oh, they're there because they remind you to like kind of keep taking risks and to be like you, like if mm. if you're not afraid when you're writing at, at any point, like if, right. you, if you don't encounter fear, if you leave fear behind, it's probably because you're doing something so safe it's not even worthwhile you're just doing horribly horribly wrong things <laughs> um, <laughs> not that i don't mean the part where you suddenly take off and you're soaring and you're forgetting the, the little voice of fear that's down below going but wait this is not good i know i know yeah. but i think that uh, that actually will be my steal this because as we're sort of talking Dare, you mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as we're talking i realize i've been trying to think about the thing We talk about starting rituals. We talk about all these things about writing, but very often, you know, it's it's hard to get past the discomfort of starting. And that voice that is so fearful and terrible very often abates during the writing process. Like once you actually start writing, you become more focused on the task at hand. But it takes a while for that voice to go away. And... If your assumption is that the voice should go away, then you're going to spend too much time focusing on making the voice go away and not enough time on the writing. But if you focus on, well, the voice is part of what writing is, and that's just what it is, and I'm going to write through that discomfort. And, you know, it's like meditation. It may never, in this particular session, get to a place where that voice goes completely away. But you're always going to feel better having gone through the process and well, running towards the fear to it right like i don't want to listen to it no okay not listening to it like it's so smart but like holding having a space for it like oh you're there i you know I th- it's a very different set of ideas mm-hmm. um for the anxiety for part. the anxiety stuff and i do think that there's a great deal of anxiety with starting to write and that, that voice is very much a representation of anxiety not you know every you yeah. everybody has their own metaphor one of the things that I like about the, and it's Barry, Barry McDonough, and I'm trying to remember all of it, but anyway, but the book that he did was Dare. But running towards it doesn't mean, okay, I'm embracing you. What it actually means is do your worst. <laughs> it means say to your fear when you're sitting down to write, great, what's the worst thing you can say to me? Do it. And then, you know, and his whole program actually has a thing where you you tell that voice, 
you've got 21 seconds to do the worst you can do, and then you need to go. (laughs) And so you do a really slow countdown as you're engaging with the thing that you're afraid of. And as a person with anxiety, having used that tool, which I've forgotten to use, um, and I'm glad I'm being reminded of, it is effective. It is effective because it empowers you. As soon as you say, bring it on, that tells your brain how much power you have, Mm. which you don't connect with when you're trying to sort of, you know, hide from it, hide from it. And, you know, you reinforce that it's valid when you do that. Yeah. So I'm going to blow my own mind this week. That's going to be the thing. (laughs) I, I think that's really important. And the other piece for me about the emotions that come up when I sit down to write is that sometimes I think it can be safe to write. You know, you're in your cafe or at your desk or whatever in your journal. And to be able to um, remember that people in your story are not in moments where they're just tranquilly, like, thinking about their, their backstory. You know, they're in, they're gripped by emotion. And they're struggling. Right, the worst thing happening to them can't be that you're out of coffee. <laughs> right. I mean, it might start there. Or make that coffee worth something. Right, exactly. But, yes. So so just to remember that the to to also dig into the emotion that comes up when you're writing because your characters are gonna be at up against something that matters to them as much as your writing matters mm-hmm. to you and mm-hmm. it's gonna be scary. Absolutely. That story. Yep. All right. So um, we hope to see you at our kickoff party. Uh, you can kick off your book with us, whether you're joining book in a year or not. You can go to bookinayear.com. Oh my gosh, classes available now, backslash classes, dash available, dash now. We just, we want to say like, we're so artisanal versus corporate that we just make it a little bit challenging to find your way to us. But we do want you to be able to find us. So please reach out. You can always email us. What's our Storymakers email? Questions at storymakersshow.com. Yeah, ask us a question. Come on. Come on.